Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Stocks look set for a slide today on concerns of inflation stoked by energy costs and the possibility of a widening China crackdown on private industry, with the government examining ties of industry with banks and regulators. The US dollar climbed, futures in Japan, Australia and Hong Kong dipped after the S&P 500 fell for a second day on the back of fears of slowing recovery from the pandemic. It's been a hairy day for us here in the studio purely due to technical issues getting our guest live on the phone but he is with us time to welcome tony sycamore apec analyst for city index how are you tony i'm well michelle thank you it's a little bit hairy here today as well a little bit gray and rainy for our second day of freedom day but other than that we're doing pretty well yes you are joining us live from sydney a day after freedom day that's when your cafes your gyms your restaurants they all welcome back fully vaccinated customers uh, on monday after nearly four months of crack down. So Australia aiming to begin living with the coronavirus. Tony, tell us, how have Australian markets responded to opening up and what's next for the ASX 200? Well, the markets today have been a little bit softer and that follows a softer session on Wall Street. And I think part of that softness is coming through because there's renewed concerns about an energy crunch or an energy crisis as it's being put. And the reason for that is we saw West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil closed above $80, which is back to seven-year highs. We also saw coal limit up uh, about 8% yesterday in China on the back of floods in China, which resulted in 60 of their 650-odd mines closing. Um, So once again, this thematic which we've seen really since the start of September, higher energy prices, fearing inflationary fears, playing out in equity markets. And as I mentioned, US equity markets traded lower. We also have a little bit of nervousness, I guess, ahead of the September quarter earnings season there in the US. And that's flowed through into the Australian market. Last week, the ASX 200, a pretty good week. It finished up uh, about 1.5% there, which I think was largely in anticipation of the reopening. And unfortunately, here, we've probably had a little bit of that enthusiasm dulled, partly because US equity markets have fallen. And also, as I said, um, it'd be lovely to get out and enjoy the freedoms which we now have here in Sydney. But the weather here, not particularly flash. It's been raining for two, two days straight. So a little bit gloomy, but the backdrop is still pretty good here. We saw business confidence data rise very sharply this morning, which is mm. back up to levels pre the pandemic, um, which is a great sign. And also we saw consumer confidence rise as well, which with the way that the data is taken or these surveys are taken, it was at a time when the reopening plans were being laid out and the vaccination rates were really increasing. So a lot of good news probably already priced into the Australian equity market in some respects. We're seeing that play out now in the consumer confidence and business confidence data. Unfortunately, just a little bit softer on the day here in Australia in terms of the ASX 200. All right, let's switch back and take a step back. U.S. stocks fell yesterday on worries about mounting inflation, slowing growth and that rally in oil prices you mentioned. Uh, What do you see shaping up for the U.S. market? Well, I, I don't think this energy news has really finished playing out as yet. We saw natural gas 
trade about 15% lower last week after Russia pledged to increase supplies of natural gas to the continent. Now, the price of natural gas since the start of April is up about 120, 130% still. So it's a very, very strong trend. So a 15% pullback in the grand scheme of things isn't that great. And when we think about what's driven that crunch in natural gas prices, it's been a number of things. It's been, a, 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 I guess, Stronger demand following the reopening there. We have had unreliable supply from uh, solar and wind energy sources. And then there's been a very tight market in Russia, which hasn't helped either. And, and that's playing... We've also had an unseasonally cold uh, autumn as well in Europe. So demand rising, supply is very tight there, and that's taken natural gas prices you know, quite significantly higher. But where we look... And, and I remember being a trader at a fund back in 2000. I was the junior trader and mm. we had a trade on in natural gas, believe it or not, and, and we stopped out. We took a loss on the trade and that was around when natural gas was trading at about 5 or $6, which is about where it is now. The funny thing was natural gas after that point went to $10 and nobody was expecting it. It was a significant mm. move. It doubled from where we got out. And I look at where natural gas is now. It's about you know, it traded up to six dollars fifty uh, last week, and it's back trading around five dollars fifty. But if that six dollars fifty level breaks, there's no reason why natural gas can't push a good deal higher. So at the moment, certainly a little bit of the sting's been taken out of the market by the measures that Russia announced last week. But in the grand scheme of things, we still have those. You know, trying to meet environmental targets with regards to decarbonisation, all of those thematics playing out in the background. So I'd be a little bit concerned if natural gas broke above $6.50 because I think it could go a good deal higher. Oil, I think, well, we were talking last week about potentially a bit of a blow-off into the low 80s, and we saw that last night with crude oil then streaming back to finish just above $80. But I don't think that story's finished yet either. Um you know, we've still got a very tight market there as well. OPEC seemed very determined to stick to their program into year end. And we've got this demand increasing globally because of the reopening. And that's really the key thematics playing out in the energy market, which are driving equity markets and inflationary fears at this point of time. Well, speaking of uh, soaring gas prices and commodities, what do you think of bullish bets on Indonesia's currency? Could it be Asia's best-performing currency, given elevated commodity prices boosting its trade surpluses? Absolutely, yeah. I think what the market's looking at now, particularly in the currency market, they're dividing the FX currency pairs between who is an energy importer and who is an energy exporter. On one hand, in Asia, we have Japan, which is totally reliant on fossil fuels for all of their energy needs. And then we sort of move along the spectrum towards the other end, which is Indonesia. Now, Indonesia do very well because of their exports of palm oil and also coal. And they're also quite, they're moving further into that natural gas, gas space as well. And that's something which the market really likes. So as we're punishing the yen at the moment, and the Indonesian rupiah is doing very well. So there is, as I said, I don't think the energy thematics has finished playing out yet, which should be supportive of the Indonesian rupiah. We are seeing uh, surpluses, as you mentioned there, in Indonesia. And not only that, but we're also seeing the Indonesian government moving towards tax reforms, which puts Indonesia 
towards a more disciplined path towards fiscal discipline, if you like. And, and that's all being rewarded by the FX market. They like what they're seeing there. Dollar Indonesia, it's sitting on support right now around 14,200. Um, I would imagine if that level breaks, then it would see the Indonesian rupiah fall further, or the, the dollar Indonesia cross rate fall towards 13,500. So at the moment, being rewarded, but sitting on support. But if that support breaks, I think for the thematics we've spoken about, the reasons behind the energy crisis, that you'll start to see that dollar Indonesia currency pair move down towards 13,500. All right. Take us into uh, what you see for the US dollar, Japanese yen. Is the dollar screaming higher against the yen? Michelle, to me, it certainly looks like this is a very, very big break on the dollar yen longer term charts. And also for the reasons we just mentioned, the market's very happy to reward the energy exporters and they're looking to punish the energy importers. And Japan, as we said, uh, with nuclear energy after Fukushima, pretty much well put on the on the um, on hold. It is totally reliant on imports and that is being very clearly played out in the dollar yen cross rate. Not only that, we have dollar yen rallying because yields are rallying in the US. And this is part of the inflationary thematic coming from the energy crisis. So higher inflation means we're looking at higher yields. And although the bond market was closed overnight in the US for the Columbus Day holiday, the market's pretty sure that with oil above $80 and coal at all-time highs, there's no chance that US yields are going to retrace in the short term, despite what you would probably consider to be a mixed employment report last Friday. So with those twin drivers of higher US yields and being an energy importer, dollar-yen was a very impulsive rally overnight, up towards 113.30, and it's broken, to me, a pretty big level. I, I sort of thought if... I was looking for us to ratchet into a higher range, I guess between 110.80 and 113.50-ish, but the speed with which it got to 113.50 has, I guess, exceeded my expectations in the short term. And I look to where dollar-yen can trade to into year-end, and because of the reasons we just spoke about, I can't see any good reason why dollar-yen can't push up towards 115. Now, there will be some wood to chop up there, a very big resistance area, and you will start to see some profit-taking. We know Japanese investors have been selling yen and buying uh, you know, euro or Aussie-denominated assets, anything with, real, uh, with, with higher interest rates than what is currently offered in Japan. So there has been that driving the move as well. But if you get up towards 115, it's historically a very big level. I'd expect that to halt the rally for the short term. But above 115, you know, we're starting to look back towards that 118 area, which it'd be, I think it's going to get there, Michelle. I, I really like what I'm seeing there. There's good fundamental reasons and, and good technical reasons for that currency pair to continue higher. Mm, well, speaking of fundamental and technical reasons, let's switch now to cryptocurrencies performance overnight. Tony, hodlers have been holding on to hope for at least four years that a Bitcoin ETF is going to boost institutional access and positively impact um, the, the Bitcoin market. First up, how has Bitcoin been performing so far? And what do you see? Are you seeing a change in the narrative in terms of acceptance for new Bitcoin Futures ETF, which has been predominant in market chatter recently. Yeah, as you said, it's been something that uh, the crypto market's been hoping for for a very long time. And the rumor is that we're getting a lot closer. And I think that was probably reinforced by Fed Chairman Powell two weeks ago when he said this, and we're not looking to ban cryptocurrencies. This was after China stepped up their ban. Um, and, and the Fed Chairman was 
very positive. He said, listen, and for good reasons as well, it is a very innovative area of digital finance. So I don't think he wants to shut that area off. And he reaffirmed, we're not going to ban cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, rallied about 25 to 30% after he confirmed it wouldn't be bounced. But taking the next leg higher has been the rumour that we're getting very, very close to this Bitcoin futures ETF. And that took Bitcoin back above 57000 overnight, which we haven't seen since May. I think that that thematic will continue to play out along with the technicals. As we've mentioned, it's been a strong rally. I like Bitcoin to push up to test that year-to-date high around 65000 It has been a strong rally already, Michelle, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a pullback. But in terms of where support lies for Bitcoin, we know that that 53000 high following the El Salvadorian adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender will provide support. I really wouldn't want to see Bitcoin trade much below 53000 to that $50,000 support area. And while it's above there, I think we're looking pretty good for a push-up towards that. The next resistance level here would be that 59000 high we saw in May and above that the year-to-date heights. Ethereum, however, hasn't mm. fared quite as well. And I think we touched on that a little bit last week. It, it hasn't managed to break its equivalent level of the September high, which came in around 3677 US dollars. It's tried a couple of times over the past four or five sessions and it just hasn't been able to do it. I think part of that reason is because traders are switching out of Ethereum into Bitcoin. Bitcoin has rallied significantly, outperformed Ethereum over the past three or four weeks and and I think partly because of that switching which we just mentioned. Now, if Ethereum could break above, let's say, $3,700 for argument's sake above that resistance band. I think Ethereum can push up into the 4,000s. But at the moment, there's certainly some rotation playing out in the crypto space amongst the top two cryptocurrencies. And Ethereum is outperforming while Bitcoin appears to have broken higher and has higher levels in mind. Uh, Do you see a a new high for Ethereum by the end of the year? Is that still uh, within the ambit of possible? Yeah, I do, actually. I don't think we're seeing new money at this point of time coming to the the market. I think we're seeing rotation. I do think we're seeing... Mm. And and, and I've been guilty of this myself. And I think last week when we chatted, I said, look, I'm long Ethereum and and I'm long Bitcoin. They're my two trades I've got on at the moment. I've actually taken uh, a little bit of... of, uh, Sorry, I've cut some of my Ethereum long position, taken profit on that. Mm. And I haven't added yet in Bitcoin. I'd prefer to see Bitcoin uh, continue high because I'm still long. But I'd reinitiate longs in Ethereum if it was to pull back, I guess, towards 3,100 or it breaks and closes above that 3,700 level. So... Essentially, what I've done is it's not new money. I've just left that Bitcoin trade running um, and I've taken a little bit of profit on that Ethereum trade. I will look to get that. I'm still bullish Ethereum in the medium term, but in the short term, this rotation, as I said, I don't think it's new money coming in, although we have had talk of uh, institutional buyers after said Chairman Powell spoke a couple of weeks ago. But at least over the past four or five days, I think it's more rotation that we're seeing, taking profit in Ethereum and putting it into Bitcoin. I think that's what's playing out currently. All right. I just have to ask you this uh, because it is in the news. Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan chief executive, saying yesterday at a conference, <laughs> he thinks, uh, personally thinks Bitcoin is worthless. 
and that the cryptocurrencies will be regulated by governments. What do you think? Well, I think that's what makes a market, isn't it? And, you know, it's funny that Jamie says that because I know a lot of these US big banks, including JP Morgan, are setting up crypto desks for their high net worth clients and institutional clients. So I guess everybody's entitled to their view. That doesn't, you know, I suspect by Jamie's comments, he's not putting any of his own net PA worth into crypto assets. Although I think that would be um, probably not that prudent of him. I'd be sort of looking to put 3 to 5% in if I was him. But, you know, this is what makes a market. And there's certainly a lot of people with very polarised views still in the uh, crypto space. But by and large, I think we're seeing broader adoption. And I think as we start to, if, you know, if Bitcoin can start to push to new highs and we get that vibe coming back through the market look bitcoin's new highs i think that'll start to bring the new money back into the market but look everybody's entitled to their view michelle and as i said that's what makes a market and that's what makes this such an interesting space and another reason why if we do i'm not a hodler as such i mentioned that last Mm. week i'm a trader i i know where i'm going to get out of these trades where i'm looking to get in or looking to take profit Mm. and i'm aware that jamie could be right so at any given point of time, I know where I'll exit that trade, either for a profit or for a loss. And um, if Jamie's right, then I'll be exiting at a loss. Exiting at a loss. But if I'm right, then look, we'll, we'll look forward to that when the day comes. Love the perspective. In the meantime, Bitcoin trading showed no immediate reaction to Jamie Demon's comments. Tony, thank you for joining us this morning. My pleasure, Michelle. Have a great day. You too. He's Tony Sycamore joining us live from Australia, APEC analyst for City Index. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.